Jamie. Yes, Marianne. I'm a bit sad to tell you that this is the end of the Lovecraft show, as in there won't be any more seasons and there won't be any more episodes. That's bad news, I, particularly as I'm still in the Lovecraft show. What am I going to do now? Well, don't worry, because we've got a new show for all our crafty-loving listeners. It's going to be called Craft Talking. Guess who's going to be doing it? Who's going to be doing it? You! Hey! <laughs> oh, I can live on to be another day. I tell you what, it's very weird just being a disembodied voice that exists in a podcast. There are so many trapped in other podcasts that have pod-faded over time. But I can live on in another area. I'm so excited now. Craft talking, you say? Craft talking. So it's going to be a fantastic new podcast with me and you. And we're going to talk to everybody and anybody so people listeners don't forget to subscribe and find craft talking wherever you get your podcasts that's craft talking without a g because we're so cool see you there bye Erin, I was a little late to my local kleptomaniacs anonymous meeting on tuesday and when i got there all the chairs had been taken Hey everybody, it's the Lovecraft Show. My name's Mr. Xditch. And I'm Marion. That was one of my favourite of your dad jokes. That is a good one. That is it's a good a really one. Good my one. other, I like the kleptomaniac one as well of like, uh, I suffer from kleptomania. I said this deadpan to someone once. I suffer from kleptomania, but when the symptoms get really bad, I just take something for it. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> tell us it. about our guests on this week's show. Oh, I tell you what, we've got a corker this week. So we are going to be talking to Janie Crowfoot, um, who's a crochet designer that will absolutely blow your mind. She is super talented, queen of the crochet along, queen of textured crochet, everybody's favourite crochet blanket designer. Yeah, she's a really fantastic designer and she's been around, I think she even started studying knitting at art college and stuff so she knows this stuff it was a it's been a really interesting chat i really enjoyed it yeah i did she's supersonic so tuned into the world of crochet and the community and what people really really love with one eye on the past and one eye on the present yes and one could say a bit of an eye on the future but she was super interesting i hope you love this just as much as we did Hi, Janie. Welcome to the Lovecraft Show. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. We, uh, well, I, I mean, Jamie obviously is excited with all guests, but I've been really excited to talk to you because I have sort of said hello to you in the past, sort of been a bit fangirl and hidden, walking around shows and going, oh, it's Jenny Crawford, ooh, like that, and, said, and then come and said hello and then run away again. But it's so nice to see you and to have a little crochet chat. Yeah. Oh, it's lovely to be here. It's always good to, I live a really little hermit life, so it's always good to talk to people. And especially, you know, since we've all started Zooming as well, although lockdown was, you know, pretty horrendous, it was so nice to, that, you know, that everybody started Zooming and seeing each other all the time, because otherwise I live a very sad, well, not sad, but a very hermit little life here in, I'm in the garden studio, so I'm not even in the house Oh, how nice to have a garden studio. I love it. No wonder you've got a woolly jumper on. So is it, has it got heating, your studio? Uh, yes, I've got one heater next to me and another heater over there, but still lots of layers on. So trying to keep warm. Miriam was very excited when we decided to have you. And then I was like, 
Ah, because the thing is, is so she would hide from you at shows, and I know of at least three different occasions when I was kind of like your next door neighbour. Yeah, shows. buddies, show buddies. Yeah, when we did the spring knitting and stitching show, and I was just having random children cross stitching on a stand, and there were you with all your brightly colourful crocheted elements and all those sorts of things. But it's weird, isn't it, when you do the shows? Is there's like usually about a five minute window when you can say hello to someone, then the show starts, and then when it sort of peters out about three pm, you can sort of start talking to people. I was like, oh yeah, we used to be neighbours. We missed shows, didn't we, for, you know, all the sort of COVID time and everything wasn't happening and there, nobody was seeing anybody in person. And yet the craft crafting world, you know, went into overdrive because we were all at home and all crocheting and knitting and stitching and everything all together. But now we're back to in-person shows. Have you had any shows already this year? Yes, we have. So the big one is always Yarndale because it's so kind of crochet heavy. And we did it last year, actually, in 21. And it was it was really good to be out there, but people were still a bit nervous. But this year it was almost back to normal. Lots of people coming to look at kits and have a chat, which was lovely to actually, you know, feel kind of almost back to normal. And then I did the um, Ali Pally, the knitting and stitching show, which again, almost back to normal now, which is just fantastic. That's really lovely. I guess they are going to have to go through that phase of getting used to it, isn't it? It's almost like you've got to have that rehearsal show of people working out the normals and then being like, oh, no, you can be normal and we can all sit around. But the workshops and stuff, are there still plenty of workshops going on at the shows? I think from this, you know, we had the Omicron scare, didn't we, beginning of the year. But I think from sort of March, April onwards, it's just been sort of full throttle people. People are desperate to get out and meet meet their crafting buddies. Oh, definitely. And so crochet, we've got to talk about this because obviously this is what... Well, you are super crochet legend in the crochet world. And um, which is why I was always like, oh, it's Jane Crawford when I was at the shows. How did it all start for you? Where did where, We'll talk about all these different, I wanted to ask you so many questions about some of these blankets and things, but where did it start? So I, I trained as a textile designer um, and I specialised actually in machine knitting. I went to Winchester School of Art and when I left, we weren't prepared for the real world at all. I think like a lot of art students are. We just thought we'd be like, you know, walking into jobs at Gucci and stuff like that. But of course, that didn't happen. So I worked as a textile designer, creating swatches, knitted swatches for a while. And then I got a job with Rowan Yarns as a design consultant. And that was all hand knit. So I was would be in store demonstrating and helping people with their hand knit projects. Then about 2005-ish, they started to introduce um, crochet patterns into the magazines, which meant the team of design consultants had to be able to help people with their crochet. Um, so my great-grandmother was a crocheter, but I didn't learn from her. I learned really from the Rowan tribe who got me going and then once I started I was kind of like this is my thing definitely because mm. I guess because you you yeah you did knitting when you were at Winchester right that was like part of your thing so I mean it obviously resonated with you strongly from the start yes and I've always really been interested in um, the technicalities of how stitches are created and you know what happens if you you know knit two together or purl one next to a knit one all that kind of like how it works and I mm. think once I started crocheting, the kind of technical side of it really, really appealed to me as well. And that, like the maths and everything, I just, yeah, it really kind of grabbed me and I love it. You've got deep insights that you can share. Imagine I know nothing about crochet. That's not hard to imagine. Um, what are the deep insights? Are there things like that you're like, continue to fascinate you? Um, 
I, I the thing I love about crochet compared to knitting is the how the way you can create these three D items, you know, three D flowers and layering and everything, and like you know, traditional granny squares are just just the the starting point really of something mm-hmm. that is so exciting and and so creative. You know, you can create these incredible, you know, like the have you seen sort of freeform crochet and stuff like that? It's just just mind-blowing really what you can do with it so I think it's probably the sculptural aspect I love as well earlier in season three we were talking to an amazing woman called Lissy who's in New Zealand who they she and her husband Rudy have created huge statues in crochet to go into their Maori house oh I've seen I've seen I've seen them I've seen that yeah I think there's something about crochet stitches they're just so robust and they're built, I mean, right from the beginning when you learn to crochet, they're built on how many chains high something is or sort of, you know, and you can layer and layer and layer and layer. And I think that's what makes your patterns and your designs different. I think that's what really caught the eye of the public, of the crocheters in the world, in the wild. They just hadn't seen anything like it before. I remember when Frida's Flowers came out. If you don't know about Frida's Flowers, everybody, just have a look on Janie's website. We'll put all the details on the show notes. If you haven't seen this blanket, it's absolutely incredible. It has flowers. And actually, this is a technique that you've used subsequently lots of times, haven't you? I mean, I don't know if Frida's Flowers was even the first one, but it's incredible, the sort of multi-layers of flowers and the textural sort of depth of it. And I also remember that the whole crochet world gasped because you used black. Black yarn. And I can remember people like, I love it. Oh my God, she's using black yarn. Oh my God. And it was like, black yarn in a blanket? What's going on? I mean, it was, it was such a moment. Oh. It was, and actually, with hindsight, black is not the best colour to use in a design. <laughs> we are, the trauma of trying to knit or crochet with black yarn is. You could just can't see the stitches. I'm sure, Jamie, this must be the same if you're cross-stitching, surely. Uh, yeah, I mean, black's a tricky one. I once, just to prove a point, cross-stitched a black picture of a black cat on a black piece of Aida and then vowed never ever to do that again. That was just bonkers, so. But like, I, you know, I, the, the Frida, I think the use of black, I mean, was that a deliberate decision? Was it honouring Frida? Was it something that you decided this is going to really make the colours pop? Because it adds that real sense of drama, drama to the yeah. whole piece, doesn't it? Absolutely. So the Frida's Flowers was um, based on not the work of Frida Kahlo so much, because that's a bit different in terms of colours. But, you know, traditional sort of the Mexican dresses that she wore, the heavily embroidered Mexican textiles that she was such a big fan of. So, you know, using black, with hindsight, I probably would now use a dark blue or a brown you know dark brown but it just to set the reds of the flowers and the bright greens of the leaves and stuff it was just straight away black that was the um the choice but yeah would probably choose differently now oh it was such a huge moment I just remember that sort of like oh the people and and I was yes well I could have yes I probably did but it was I was I was at Lovecraft's then when that when that came out and I remember there being an absolute ripple of excitement and terror all mixed up together (laughs) (laughs) um but so when did you start with the the sort of you know creating the sort of textured layered stitches and things probably started doing crochet alongs at the point where not many people were doing it so my first crochet along was 2011 
And for four years, I did them as a kind of exclusive club where people would um, get the patterns and get the yarn from me. And it was um, restricted to a certain number of people. So it wasn't just out in the world free like they a lot of them are now, which is just amazing. But at that time, I was really into beads and colour. So the (laughs) texture, the texture that I had really was... Um, the beads and different stitches and then with Frida it was kind of like adding in the leaves and more layers around and I think now I've just got I've got to actually calm down on the layering because it's getting a bit it's getting a bit crazy um but yeah I just oh just love it love it with the Frida pattern from what you said it sounds like it's almost like an evolution of the idea was it did it naturally occur to you to go down that Mexican route? Like, did the flowers come first and then the inspiration come second or how are they bound together? I think with me, because of my, possibly because of my um, textile background, I mean, at Winchester, we had to do history of art as part of our course. And if you look at a lot of my designs, they always harp back to an an initial inspiration of an artist. So it was very much Frida and it was about, it was about her as a person and not her paintings. And then, you know, Lily Pond before that was Monet. So, and I've since done, you know, the William Morris, May Morris, all that sort of stuff. So, and I love the, the Morris one with the fruit and the um, that's just beautiful. And also the Delft, the one you did, which was um, a Love Crafts one at the beginning, I think, which was Delft, which was that gorgeous blue and cream. Yeah. So that was probably me beginning to do that whole sort of layering thing with Delft. It's quite, it is a little bit 3D, um, but quite not quite as 3D as a lot of the crochet longs are. And when people, you know, if people are sort of thinking, right, they're going to have a go at this. I think one of the brilliant things about crochet is that things look incredibly difficult when you look at them from a distance. And then when you look up close, you can actually see architecturally how they're put put together and so with something like uh, like say for example like a lily pond like the flower on the lily pond or or Frida or any of these other ones you just got to sort of look at it and not be frightened and think okay this is done in layers yeah so you don't do it all the same time you're just doing each little bit and the layers sort of work themselves up into a motif yes yeah, and I think the the difference, I think what hadn't happened before and the difference with my design is I always take step-by-step images the whole way through. And mm. with the crochet longs, they start easy and get progressively harder. So by the time you've made the simple ones, simple pieces, I will usually do, say, a small little flower um, for the first bit. And then on the next piece, it'll be that same little flower, but with an extra layer around it. And um, if people also work in a production line way, whereby they make all of them at the same time, if you like. So instead of making one whole piece and then starting again and making it all over again, if they actually make all five or six at the same time, um, it helps them remember what they're doing. And actually, I I was watching an interview with you with the lovely Sarah from Black Sheep. Um, and you were saying this, that actually in terms of your tension, if you make whole motifs... Uh, maybe months apart then of course they can be completely different sizes so it is really good to make each motif like sort of like you say so make all the middles all the next bit all the you know as you go so that you're doing the same rows or you know sequence of stitches over and over again while they're in your head which is a brilliant idea yeah, because especially on complicated rounds, it helps you remember, you know, like if you've done a complicated round and then you have to go back to starting all over again, by the time you reach that round again, you will have completely forgotten what you did. Yeah. You get the same with Bargello and stuff like that. I think those are kind of like 
certain patterns, you get into the rhythm of doing the pattern. And I guess your muscle memory kicks in and all those sorts of things, isn't it? Which is a good way of circumnavigating the complexity. Definitely. Use a long word there. Did you like that? <laughs> I loved it, Jamie. You bring those out. Bring them out, those big words. Go on. He's always doing big words. I don't know why he says that. We don't, we just have to wait until diaspora kicks in. That'll that'll make an appearance. <laughs> I was going to say that. Go in a on. <laughs> and so, have you got? I mean, a favourite blanket of all the ones you've done? Have you sort of got one that you think, yeah, that's the one? Or are they all new babies? Yeah, I just absolutely. So because we launched a cow this morning, I said to the lady um, at Inside Crochet Magazine, it's like sending my small child to school for the first day. It's that, oh, my God, will the, you know, will the teacher like them? Will the other kids like them? Are they going to make, you know, they're going to throw up at lunchtime sort of thing. So <laughs> I'm, always, I'm always really terrified when they go out there. Um, so I always love the current project when I'm working on it. I just love it. And what I love about, and you, you relate to this in terms of anything you do, is I love that the physicality of my crochet projects reminds me of the time that I did them. Yeah. So like if you're doing like cross stitch or anything, if you're doing it and you're having a really rubbish time, then when you look at that piece of crochet, you'll go, oh, I hate that because it reminds me of that rubbish time. So there are some blankets. I'm not saying any of them remind me of rubbish times. <laughs> they all remind me of good times. And a lot of them, because I've been doing it 10 years, you know, it's like I remember um, I can remember doing um Lily Pond when I was on holiday and stuff like that, you know, when the kids were smaller. So the one I think I love the most is probably, and it's not a crochet along, it's Persian tiles, which is my kind of like, it's the one blanket that the world seems to be always making. And I love the fact that people use so many colours and do it in so many different ways. So I wanted to ask you about your blog, actually, um, because I, I had a bit of a spin through your blog. But you started it in 2007. So there's quite a lot of spinning to do, isn't it? Yeah, it's really impressive. Um, one of the things I noticed, A, I noticed that, yeah, when you were doing your cows, you do take a lot of photos. And I thought that was fantastic. You know, there's no way of not being able to understand it. But then you write a lot as well. Like you definitely, there's plenty of sharing of inspiration and behind the scenes and stuff. And I, you know, I've had a blog since 2008. And sometimes I write about myself and sometimes I don't. Is it is that an important part of your process? Yes, I think I've I think I mean I don't know whether I, sometimes I think I overshare, but I love the whole community thing of crochet and I don't I like to think that everybody knows me and, and would have a chat with me and I kind of feel like I want to put that across in my blog and my newsletters and stuff. And so, you know, I do kind of and, and because I'm passionate about the craft itself and my inspiration for everything. Like, you know, when we did the William Morris ones, I really desperately wanted everybody to go and do their research about the arts and crafts movement. And so I give all that to them and say, you know, here it is, off you go. You go and find about, find out about these wonderful houses you can visit or these art galleries you can go to. So I kind of like to kind of give people that and also because I started my blog in 2007 as you said which I'm surprised it's that long but at that time blogs were very word heavy yeah. you know it was all yeah. about me and my blog and what I'm doing and how I'm so I kind of think I've I've continued with that whereas a lot of bloggers have now become you know Instagram is much more here's a picture and a small caption so yeah I'd still like writing and probably that again comes from that sort of art history background maybe 
I think it's a really like I to me it feels quite a profound thing because I think as you say it's quite easy for us to break everything into pieces and just throw you know a picture here and a couple of sentences and stuff but I know myself that when I start writing it's going to take me like five ten minutes to get into the meat of it you know to get under it and I think that's what I appreciate with your essays for want of a better word it's just you really get under the surface and you really explore you know whether it's the fact that you you have difficulty sleeping sometimes or whether it's this particular project and the history of it that you go into and stuff I feel like and and I'm imagining because there's probably a similarity where you'll have written something in 2012 and someone will come and mention it to you in 2022 and you'll be like I don't even remember that fact. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry to hear about your guinea pig. And you're like, did I have a guinea pig or whatever? But I think I think it's great. In some ways, I think it's a bit of a lost format. I agree. So, I agree. Yeah, I, I, and I think we we should mourn the, the sort of the, the loss of the sort of blog in the sense that everything is less satisfying when it's just a picture and it's just a quick fire thing. Whereas when, you know, your blog with all the detail and the background and the things that are going into these to, you know, like, for example, like, let's say, arts and crafts movement and the, the background to the artists that you've been inspired by, it gives people who are making those blankets such a rich depth of experience when they're making a blanket like that. And I think that makes it even more satisfying um, instead of just sort of like bashing out another blanket. You know, people just sort of like, oh, I just like that picture. Pick the picture up from Instagram. I really love the fact that there's more to it. And I think I think that's why you have such a very faithful audience as well, because they enjoy the whole experience of learning about where the design comes from, why it has been important to you why the motifs look like they do. I mean, it's just a much more satisfying experience all round. Yes, yes. And I think as well, when when you're doing crochet alongs in particular, you know, you're releasing a piece of the pattern every two weeks or every month. Some people whiz through that, you know, they're done in a day. And then it gives, by giving them something else to look at, you know, why don't you go and have a look at, you know, one of the your local arts and crafts houses or something. It just, just creates that interest for people. Um, and, it, it you know, it means they really sort of pour more into that project than they possibly would i find that as as well like i've done a few uh x stitch alongs so same thing you know cross stitch design but for me i think that the journey that you take people on is more than just the productive journey you do kind of want to bed in something i've got a um a project i'm working on at the moment that's diving into like the mindfulness aspect but in doing so i'm trying to almost like find bits of research about the subject that i can share with people as part of the pattern comes out and those sorts of things i did one called can can and every single um piece that came out had a different it's had facts about things so one was facts about canada and one was facts about canoes and one was a recipe for cannoli and all of those sorts of things because i think you've got this opportunity haven't you to produce a regular thing for people and if you just go there's a pattern knock yourself out i feel like we're missing a trick Definitely. yes 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 you know some people they don't you know they don't see other people other than the people they go up and see at the shops or you know the odd night out a lot of crafters are like that um you know and I think it just like we we put recipes and all sorts I think it's investing in their lives because they can see and I think so many people you know it's all that my life is great you know like if you look at Instagram and all that yeah. whereas you know if I do put on my blog or I've had a bit of a rubbish week and I'm not sleeping well I'll get loads of emails from people saying I've had a really rubbish week as well and let's chat you know let's chat yeah. about that or you know how about trying magnesium to help you sleep and stuff like that it's just 
I love all that. Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? That craft is also 50% community. And it doesn't matter whether it's community in person, especially like in this modern age, it's community over email and community on the blog or the, you know, and people making things together and comparing from opposite sides of the world. You could be doing one of your cows in New Zealand and 12,000 miles away and I could be sitting here in Bromley doing mine um, and and yet we've got something in common and something to talk about and it just brings a gorgeous sense of community together especially you know if there's somebody's a bit stuck you know that someone else is going to jump up and say oh no no this is how I did it it's better. and that's the beauty I think of craft is not just the actual physical craft but it's actually the way the community comes together and this is where crochet alongs um make alongs of any kind i suppose are so rich in community aren't they the people just love to do something together yeah it's amazing I don't know if your experience of this Janie is the same, but certainly with the with the sort of the the cows that we've run at Lovecraft sort of in the past, the thing the difference between knitters and crocheters is knitters will follow exactly what you tell them to do, and it's all very prescriptive, and they absolutely will do it down to the yarn, down to the button. But crochet is something that people readily make their own, and so if you start off by saying you must have these yarns and this size hook and this you know nowhere on the earth will that happen so people need to have the freedom to use their own choice of yarn as long as it's obviously going to work and it's a good sub but they'll use what they've got they'll maybe add a border on that you haven't thought of they will maybe go up a gauge they'll you know crocheters are such a different breed of people in the sense that they have freedom that knitters just don't have. I mean, obviously knitters do, but it is different. And our experience of that is that, you know, you you can offer up different options, but inevitably they will add a little bit on to make it their own, which is lovely. You just have to be prepared for that, you know. So your design might be your beautiful design, but somebody might stick a big run of shells around the outside. Yeah, and I love that. I love seeing, you know, a lot of designers, because people say to me, or are you, I've, I've changed the colours or I've done this, do you mind? It's like, no, that's your, you know, it's your baby. And I love it when people sh- send me pictures of, um, well, I mean, like the most bizarre things sometimes, you know, like coats for dogs and what, you know, <laughs> dresses and jackets and ponchos and everything. But, you know, they've put their spin on it and they can feel like they've, you know, made their own unique thing. And that's actually, interestingly, it's something we've done for the new crochet along um, Spirit of Flora that starts in January is I've given I mean I've created these blocks but we've shown them in three different colorways and what we're suggesting is people if they want a starter pack then maybe buy a ball of each of these colors but please then you know go through your stash see what you've got pick out colors that you love stick them in and um, I'm really excited to see what people do with this one see and that is the kind of freedom that they will just eat up it's wonderful because then you know they can really express themselves you know anybody I, I would I would be diving straight into my stash but or, or some people would love the ease of just buying a pack and it's got exactly what 
you need to do this, you know, or some people don't feel comfortable with choosing colours or find it difficult to put them together, which br which brings me on to a couple of things, actually. Firstly, with the Persian tiles, I mean, a million and one colourways, but there are different colourways, aren't there? And I remember somebody came up with a different Frida colourway or, or another colourway that you used? Yeah, so um, there's a designer called Lucia Dunn um, and she's another um, Starcraft blog star, so I know her really well. And she came up with another colourway of Persian tiles, which we called Eastern Jewels. And it, was, and it was really her doing that that gave everybody the freedom to then go, oh my goodness, if she's used all those different colours in every single block, then I'm really going to stash dive and use my own. So, and then she did, and Lucia did it again for... Um, Frida and created a very different look with the kind of creams and light blues and minty colours, which um, just I love that. I love how different colours can completely transform a project. It almost looks like a different different thing. It's wonderful. I mean, can I just I've got to, just got to get this out, Jamie, because it's it's bursting. The first Janie Crow pattern I bought uh, was Mystical Lanterns, and the shock when I read at the beginning. This suggestion, you know what I'm going to say, don't you? That you put all the balls of colour, all your yarns into a bag and just close your eyes and grab one and then just, just go completely freeform. I mean, that was just like, I was like, what? Just, no, you know, you could just, just try not to follow a pattern you know obviously follow the pattern but in terms of color prescription just grab the first color that comes out of the bag and and did you do that I did oh I did and it was it was and actually it was a present before I started I was thinking crikey uh what if this isn't gonna what if this isn't gonna work you know for but of course all the colors that you are not because I think I'd bought a kit all the colors that were there all worked so it didn't matter what came out of the bag. And it was very, very frightening to do it for the first couple. And then I realised that it was actually okay to do that. And I did. And it was an amazing freedom. So where did that come from? Just that sort of rebel instruction. Russian roulette. Is yes, what it sounds like Russian roulette. So um, when I was designing that, it's one that's like a, it's called an Oji shape. It's that kind of like uh, from Islamic architecture shape. Um, so it's tessellates. So they all fit together. Um, and it took me ages to work out the tessellation. So that was one whole thing. And then when it came to colour, so I was writing the pattern going, right, okay, your first motif is going to have blue, <laughs> then green, then pink, then yellow, however. And then the pattern would have been so many pages wrong, me writing out what colours you were going to use, that actually I just thought, you know, there has to be an easier way of doing this. And I was in, I was in a workshop, actually. I was teaching a workshop and there was a lady there making the most beautiful shawl and she had, she was using, um, uh, rug threads, you know, really fine rug threads. And there were so many colours that she said, Oh, I've decided to just stick them all in a bag and pick out whatever's next. And I thought, ah, oh, there we go. That's what we'll do. But some people absolutely embrace that and other people really can't cope with it at all. Yeah, it's it, because it's so, it's just so wild. You know, in, in a crochet world, that's like wild, isn't it? It's just like, what? You mean I'm not going to do it in sequence and make them all the same? And, you know, but if you trust that all of these colours are going to work, no matter where they go, it's like nature. I remember, you know, Mr. Norrow, 
who sadly passed away now, but one of his things was in nature, nature never gets colour wrong. So any colour can sit next to any colour and it always works. And that always comes back to me. And I think that is part of if if a if a if a colour selection is curated to work, it doesn't matter where it goes, if if it you know. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. What Jamie, what is it what do you think about that in terms of cross stitch? Do you and and stitching and stuff? Cuz I know you cuz you're looking slightly a little bit like frowny at that point. No, no, no. I was I was contemplating because I think it's one of those things where like the psychology of it all kicks into play and you get some people, you know, you get decision paralysis, but then there's some people who are just afraid of the freedom. Yeah. And I was equating it to the difference between cross stitch and hand embroidery. Cause in what, in a way with hand embroidery, you can kind of stitch what you want. And obviously there are stitches, but the directions you choose, the modes that you take are up to you in some respect. Whereas cross stitch it's on a grid, the holes are there and there's a security of that. And it's one of those kind of differences as well. I think most cross-stitch patterns are pixelated and, and don't necessarily afford you a ton of freedom, but that's just in your head. You know, there's no reason why you can't do things whatever colour you want. And I quite like, I did it once, I did a project where I bought a little cow keyring, Highland cow from a, I think it was the Inverness Airport, something like that. And I decided to just invert the colours. So instead of it being... um a brown cow on a white background i made it a blue cow on a black background and use like glow in the dark thread and stuff because you can and the end result is just a bit different and i quite like that almost the punk nature of it that sort of thing um but people have just got to have the nerve and i think some crafts lend themselves to that nerve a bit better the other thing i was thinking and obviously as extreme sports enthusiasts you'll appreciate this but it feels like and I'm sorry to all the, I'm not sorry, but knitting feels like skiing and crochet feels like snowboarding. Yeah. Because they both achieve the same thing, but there's a slightly different mindset shift between the two things. And, and you know, like you were saying, with the ability to go and, and stitch in different directions and those sorts of things, there's a freedom there. And that's not to say you can't do a billion things with knitters before anyone starts emailing showoutlovecraft.com with anything. <laughs> um, but, you know, I th- it, it's just an interesting analogy. So I almost feel like, in the same way, cross stitch versus hand embroidery, you know, the the conformity almost forces your brain to not think as freely. Does mm. that make sense? Yeah, it does. Absolutely does. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the differences between knit and crochet, actually, is because with crochet, you have to forward plan. Um, with knitting, you have to forward plan. So you'll have to know how many stitches you're casting on. And, you know, that's time consuming as it is. And you're always working in rows. Whereas with crochet, yeah. you 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 can start tiny and it could end up, end up mammoth. You know, mm. it's that sort of difference. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I like the idea of being a snowboarder. <laughs> yes, Dude. I think that is exactly it, though, isn't it? It is so. It's very much freer. Saying that, I am delighted that there is so much work. You know, so many designers have gone down the crochet garment route because I think it's something that we didn't have early on and now people are using you know absolutely beautiful yarn to create gorgeous garments and the sort of technical aspects of it bringing things that we didn't think we could really really do like sort of drape 
um, just with the direction of stitches and creating movement and intarsia and all of these things that were always the province of knitting and now we see them all the time in crochet. And I love the fact that, again, that is something about crocheters and crochet designers is that there is an openness. You know, it's almost like, well, it is the sort of snowboarding thing. You can You can take it anywhere. Like you say, you can start off small and make it gigantic or people will always sort of find a way to make something with crochet. And I mean, I'm I'm a knitter first and foremost, and then I learned to crochet and now I oscillate between the two depending on how I feel. You're besmirching both of them. <laughs> I love them both. <laughs> and I, you know, and, you just, and I love it together as well. I love adding crochet to my knitting. And I think that's becoming more commonplace as well. It, it, I remember when we first started Lovecrafts, it, well, I didn't start Lovecraft, really. when, we, when love knitting began and then we introduced Love Crochet, there was this incredible divide between the two and you never went across that line. But now that line is blurred and so everything sort of comes together in terms of I think of like customers we were looking at something the other day there was the lovely crochet crowd Mikey from the crochet crowd the the guys in uh, in the states I think he had um, published some knitting videos on his crochet channel and actually had a big backlash and had to take them down oh yes and I mean you know you'd think wouldn't you that all of those people in the audience would be like wow great we'll learn something new you know we'll have a look at a bit of knitting no they weren't happy. That's not about knitting, though, let's face it. There's a much deeper <laughs> conversation there, isn't it? Have you, t- Janie, have you had times when um, you've seen someone do uh, some, like a version of your crochet along and that's inspired you to change direction a little bit? You know, how much do people's variations like, yeah, influence your creative process? Uh, yeah, I think they have to. I mean, I... Uh... The lovely thing about Instagram is, especially if you follow um, your own hashtags, you know, the bl- like the blanket hashtags, is, you know, I, I follow the Persian Tiles hashtag, for example, and it just blows my mind when they come up. And it does make me think, oh, look at the way that cream works in there or look at the way they've done that border. or And that has to influence you. And I, you know, I make no, um, I don't hide the fact that I do follow a lot of other crochet designers as well, because I love the fact that we can all sort of be inspired by each other. Um, and I like to champion other designers as well. I'm not, I try not to be very, you know, you can only look at Janie Crow and my designs. I try mm. and sort of showcase others as well, because like Marion's just saying, you know, crochets don't want to do just one designer stuff. They want to go out there and find all sorts of every. So yeah, I have to be influenced by other people. I'd, if I said no, I never look at other people's stuff or be influenced by it. That would be pretty sad, really, wouldn't it? I think also the other thing about crochet is that when a motif goes out into the world, uh, uh, say, for example, like historically, like a granny square, or uh, nobody owns the granny square, nobody owns the sunburst square, you know, these sort of things have been dreamt up by somebody somewhere and somebody's seen it and gone, oh, that's really lovely. So somebody might, for example, create a textural flower or something that they've seen you do, and they're like, well, I've, I've just adapted it and made it like this. Or I'm, you know, I'm doing this because Janie Crow does stuff like this. And I think that's the way crochet really evolves. And although you have that scenario where people do steal each other's patterns, it's not like recipes, you know. They, people do take other people's patterns and pass them off as their own. And we know that and we don't like that with it's dreadful. But I think 
there is that element of, you know, cherry picking a little bit of a design and thinking, well, I'll put it here. I'll be inspired by this and inspired by that. Yeah, I think from my point of view, I often get inspired by techniques that people have used. So, you know, the way um, you can carry colour. I mean, I when I did Lily Pond, that was my 2015 crochet along. And at the same time, Deirdre, um, from Look at What I Made, had done Sophie's Universe. And when I saw Sophie's Universe, I was just like, I have to understand how she's carried that colour, you know. And that really was kind of groundbreaking for me because once I worked out that you could do these great big well not great big but carry the color along by doing chain behind things that was like a eureka moment for me and that totally changed the way that I designed my motifs definitely yeah and it's and it's wonderful and I'm sure she would be thrilled to bits that she'd contributed to something to the way you work or that you'd contributed something to the way she works and I think that's it's fabulous we're good friends so <laughs> we chat a lot and share a lot so um I'm very lucky to have her as my friend. <laughs> oh, do you know, I think that crochet designers, I don't know, I don't want to upset knitting designers because I love different designers. <laughs> Here we go. I just, I do think that there is, it's more freedom. The people are more, uh, you know, maybe because it's more technique based. I wonder as well whether it's because yeah. there's fewer of us as well. So it feels, <laughs> yeah, it's that. a smaller community, maybe. But you also, um, there's a there's an innovation element to it. I don't, you know, obviously I don't know a ton, but knitting can't be as varied from what you've said as crochet. And so there's always still these new frontiers. There's new frontiers in every respect, but it feels like crochet can explode in so many different directions that people are always finding new ideas and sharing those. And that leads to kind of the throughput of creativity. Yes, I think because it's a relatively new craft as well, you know, like knitting, they can take it back to, you know, hundreds and hundreds, you know, maybe even thousands of years. Whereas crochet, they think is a relatively new thing. So people are still experimenting and, and looking at what the craft can do. Because historically, it's been like lace, hasn't it? Lace and granny squares. Yeah, lace and granny squares. And, and yes, absolutely was, you know, you think back to the 70s, and everybody, well, I have all the doilies that my grandma ever made. Yeah. And all our sort of tank tops made of granny squares. Well, listen, I know nothing, as is often the case, but I'm looking at your Spirit of Flora project and it's, it is absolutely beautiful. I kind of love the, you've got 12, is it 12 different elements that people can make and then they can pretty much mix those together however they choose. Is that how it works? Yeah, so it uh, the design was is based on the work of William de Morgan, who was the ceramicist of the arts and crafts movement. So if you think of all those lovely sort of William Morris style tiles, he did lots of tile designs and lots of um, pots and bowls and stuff. But I looked at his tiles and I thought about, the, you know, this fashion for tiles all mismatching. Mm. so yes. that's kind of what I started to think about is <gasps> actually if you produced a, a tile design and then you could lay them out in different orders so actually I've got a couple here I know other people can't see them but for example there's yeah. some that are really some that are really plain and then you know they would sit next to others so yeah the idea is that they really dive in and sort of play around with how that can can work can you mix and match in the same way as you were just saying mix and match with those spirit of flora could you also add some persian tiles and some frida things so i usually design to a square size of about 17 centimeters so for the last one which was fruit garden which was my william morrissey one um morrissey <laughs> william morris one um <laughs> 
they would probably fit. You might have to do a little bit of tweaking around. That's a really interesting point, actually, Jamie. I might have a little look at that later and see <laughs> how. Yeah, that's up. interesting to see how maybe a fruit garden piece could slot into this. You could call it the Mr. X Stitch Memorial Fruit Garden. That would be perfect. <laughs> what the, the other thing I love, so there's a couple of things I love here. One is the fact that, I mean, I don't know if you knew this, my oldest daughter is called Flora, so I think it's very kind of you to name an entire uh, crochet along after. That was very kind of you. But it also segues really nicely in a Radio 2 style into the quiz that oh. I have got for this show which I have provisionally entitled Flower or Glower. Oh, wow. I couldn't, I, it's really hard to get the title, but is this the name of a flower or is this the name of a something else, right? And I've got eight different names. Uh, whatever happens, you're a winner, but we're just going to try them and see if you can guess. Is it a flower or is it not a flower? Okay, <laughs> you ready? <laughs> yes. First one, corn cockle, flower or glower? Flower. Corn cockle. Flower. Marion? I think it's a flower. Yes, congratulations. That was a nice, easy one. Uh, Agrostemma githago. Despite what its name might imply, the last thing this plant resembles is corn. This magnificent plant grows nearly three feet tall and sprouts just one beautiful purple flower at its top, making it a popular decorative plant on farms. I should add that some of these are quite American because <laughs> that's just the way it's worked out. But Okay, next plant, variegated chlamydia. Variegated Chlamydia, flower or glower? <laughs> Marion, I think you that's not a flower. I yeah. agree. I agree. Yeah, I totally made that one up. That's my turn to, if I need the name of a flower quickly, comedy flower, it's a very gated chlamydia. <laughs> so we'll move on. Uh, the next one, cheeseweed. Cheeseweed, flower oh, or glower? Oh, cheeseweed. Cheeseweed. Dude, it's that snowboarding thing again. No, I don't, I don't think it's a flower, cheeseweed. No, I think it might be. I think I th see with a name like Crowfoot. You see, a Crowfoot is a buttercup. Oh, it's actually no. like a, it? yeah, it's like a water buttercup. So I, I'm quite oh, good on nice. my flowers. I think cheeseweed might be a flower. It might be a wild mm. flower. I love the fact that, that I mean, if you look it up on Urban Dictionary, it is totally a stoner reference. But congratulations, Malva Neglector. What sounds like a crazy name for this flower actually makes sense. Its round, flat sea pod looks like a wheel of cheese. <laughs> they can be found in lawns and meadows all over the United States of America. Next one, then. Flower or glower? Kvetch. Kvetch. No. No. <laughs> no. no no yeah indeed uh kvetch is a person who complains a great deal she emerges as something of a kvetch constantly nagging rick it's a uh, yiddish term derived from uh the high german kvetchen which means literally crush but there is a plant called kalvetch kalvetch vikia klatcha which is a sort of purple flowered weed kalvetch Kvetch. Kvetch. Close. As you opposed well to here. kvetching, yes. Yeah, exactly. Kvetching. Ah, my cow vetch has not grown as well as I would have hoped. She <laughs> kvetched. <laughs> yes, <that works. laughs> Next one, uh, flower or glower, uh, turtle head. Turtle head? Turtle head. Turtle head. Um, it kind of wants to be a flower. It must be some sort of weird looking flower. Turtle head. Perhaps it's a bit like a Venus flytrap or something. Perhaps it's like a cactusy thing. I don't know about that one. Uh, it's definitely, a, again, don't look it up on Urban Dictionary. Uh, Chalone lioni, turtle head, is a perennial wildflower native to Canada oh. and the northeast and central US. Its unique name refers to the pink or white hooded tulip flowers 
that resemble a turtle's beak. Okay. Oh, very nice. Next one, blue hydrangea. Blue hydrangea. Well, that's a flower, Jamie. Well, see, because hydrangeas oh, are, they're, are, they're blue or pink depending on the soil they're in. Yes. So hydrangea is a flower, but a blue hydrangea possibly is not a flower. Oh, Jamie, you're sharp. That's it. You're right. You've got it. That lady gets a prize. Blue Hydrangea is a Northern Irish drag performer and one of the contestants <laughs> in the third season of RuPaul's Drag Race UK. <laughs> they said that their, uh, their drag name comes from some Blue Hydrangea bush that was in their garden. Manana told me, this is their quoting, uh, Manana told me that we had to plant it with a rusty nail so that it turned into a beautiful blue hydrangea. I love that story of something coming from a rusty, dirty old nail into something beautiful, which is kind of like me as a person, and indeed like me as a person. Oh, uh, so yeah, blue hydrangea. Yeah, because that's, that's the thing. Hydrangeas are hydrangeas. Yeah, that's really interesting as well. That it's probably planted with a rusty nail to give it the acidity in the soil mm. to make it blue. That's yes. really interesting. Actually, my uncle Jim, he used to say that plant an old tin can underneath. So same, same thing. Yeah. Yeah, and I always think it's interesting when you go past someone's garden and you see pink and blue in the same spot, and you're like, "What's going on?" Wow. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. I love hydrangeas. Me too. Me too. <laughs> Congratulations. That was Flower or Glower. You are all winners. That was a very good quiz, Jamie. That was excellent. Thanks very much. That That was was a pleasure. Tell us, Jamie, about Spirit of Flora. So this is the cow that starts in January. So when this podcast goes out, this episode, it'll be into December. So everybody's got time to prepare themselves for your January cow. Yes, yeah, so I'm really lucky in that um, Inside Crochet Magazine are massive um, supporters. They were just so good. And I think they're just so lovely to work with. And um, I've done, this will be my third crochet along with them, I think. And what we do is we release the parts monthly. It's, as we said already, it's um, inspired by the work of William de Morgan. And in order to do it in the timescale of next year, people need to sign up to um, receive Inside Crochet magazine. And they've done an amazing subscription deal, which I think works out to. Obviously, if you get the magazine, you can get download or paper. The paper one will work out a bit more expensive, but the download option, I think it works out something like £2.50 a copy, which given that you've got, given that you've got all the other fabulous design, I mean, I really love it Inside Crochet magazine because it's really kind of, it's really beautifully laid out, lovely photographs and great projects. So not only will you have my one block, but you'll have all the patterns that are in the magazine as well. So, um, yeah, so you can get the subscriptions now if you want to. We will put all the details into the show notes of the episode so people can find them there. And that's, is that a 12 part monthly cow? Yes, it's 12 monthly pieces. Um, I think in, in one piece they get two patterns. Because there's actually thirteen. We've we've designed um I've designed plain blocks as well, so they're not all um really complicated. And are there other cows in the pipeline for twenty twenty three? Yes, there's so um I'm hoping to do another free one with Starcraft, um, which will be an autumn one. And I mean Starcraft is a they're great supporters. Um they obviously Starcraft yarns are great yarns for crochets because they have such an incredible range of colours. So they're very much adored, aren't they, in the crochet world. Are all are all your cows, do you always make them in a DK weight? 
Um, often DK, yes. I think because it gives me the... If I went four-ply, I'd have a riot on my hands because it's too Absolutely. fine. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then if I went Aaron, then that just gets a bit too bulky. So DK is a really good weight for me. It's kind of what I always go for. And it's a great one. People often have that in their stashes because, you know, most people would probably use that for garments and stuff. Yeah, it's really good. I I love Spirit of Flora. I, I mean, it's just heavenly. Really it is, is really nice. Like I, I, it's one of those ones, and it's the same with the Frida blanket. Is like, I like it, and you know me. I only really like a gunmetal grey poncho at the best of times. But there's something <laughs> I really appreciate the beauty and the technicality of it as well. Just from a, you know, the fact that people can create these forms and these shapes and those sorts of things, and what the spirit of flora colorways that you've chosen as well have got a real sort of classic. It's like nostalgia, but it's not like twee nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got to be really careful that they don't end up just looking like an absolute copy of, you know, an arts and crafts piece, really. So trying to make them look contemporary as well. And I think one of the nice things about this one will be that people can straight away look at sort of the colours in their homes and work out, you know, where it's going to go. Because a lot of people do say to me, I've got all your blankets and I don't know actually what to do with them. So I think this one will be one that people can kind of tailor make it really and make they could make it small they could make cushions instead if they wanted to so you know from that respect i'm hoping to see really interesting things coming out of it if people have been living under a rock janie and they don't really know where to find you and they don't need to want they don't know where to sort of tap into your vast back catalogue where can they find you where can they tap into you <laughs> so it's janie crow if they just put, uh, type in anywhere on um Janie Crow, they'll find it straight away. JanieCrow.com, JanieCrow.co.uk. It's Janie Crow on Instagram, Janie Crow on Facebook. So just Janie Crow anywhere and you'll find it. But it also sounds like if people want to have a good day, then what's the hashtag for the Persian tiles? Hashtag Persian tiles blanket. Most of them are, sure. have the word blanket after them. So any of my yeah. designs, yeah. I'm going to go and do that. It feels like that'd be a good thing to do. If you're ever feeling like you need a bit of a shot in the arm, go and look at that hashtag by the sounds of it. <laughs> yeah, it's good fun. Yeah, definitely. Well, Janie, it's been amazing to talk to you. Um, I'm so excited about Spirit of Flora now. I think I want to go and do it myself because it looks so beautiful. It's just so nice to be on something like this and just be chatting about our love of crafts. And I think you two do such a lovely job. I listen to your podcast and they always, oh. they always make me laugh and I love listening to you. I think it's uh, a really nice thing and um, the more things like this that there are obviously for people who are home making their crochet projects and their knitting projects it's just lovely and I've really enjoyed chatting with you it's been great oh, we've oh. loved having you thank you yeah. so much 